It was a grueling 34 days between the 49ers' victory against the New England Patriots and their win yesterday against the Los Angeles Rams. The win yesterday against the Rams, that marks the fourth consecutive Kyle Shanahan win against Sean McVay. So to me, Kyle Shanahan, little brothered Sean McVay. The 49ers offense is still without Jimmy Garoppolo, still without George Kittle. Yes, they got back Raheem Mostert and Debo Samuel, Jeff Wilson Jr. But the bottom line is Sean McVay is the 49ers little brother, as is the Rams Back-to-back years, they've been swept. Go get those brooms. Oh, yeah. You're going to be the little brother, especially when you're running the the video version of Kyle Shanahan's offense. And when I mean by video version, Sean McVay is doing exactly what Kyle Shanahan does, but he's only watching the film. And he's taking that film and putting it into his game plan. He's not really the genius that everyone thinks he is. If you look at how Sean McVay calls his games, he has the answers from Kyle Shanahan, and that's what he's doing. So that's why Robert Sala and Kyle Shanahan make him the little brother. Absolutely. 100%. Kyle Shanahan gets the majority of the credit, as he should, as head coach, as leading this offense that is surviving. They're getting by. But Robert Sala's defense, he has such an impressive body of work this season, more specifically against the Rams. Going back the last two seasons now, Robert Sala's defense has held the Rams' offense to no more than one offensive touchdown in three out of the four games over the course of the last two years. Robert Sala's defense is balling out of control. It was a very, very good win for the 49ers yesterday, a win they could feel real, real proud of. Looking back at their four previous victories, they won in blowout fashion or games that they controlled from start to finish. Looking at the game against the Jets, the game against the Giants, the first time around against the Rams and the Patriots, those were games the 49ers controlled from start to finish. And what felt so good about this Rams win is that they had to overcome obstacles. Some of those obstacles were self-inflicted. They shot themselves in their foot a handful of times, but they over came those obstacles and walked away from Los Angeles with a victory, handing the Rams their first loss ever in their new stadium. And it feels great because the 49ers took the, the Rams' hardest uppercut, hardest haymaker they possibly could in that beginning of the fourth quarter. Um, They got it real close. They ended up taking the lead. And the 49ers, they stayed composed. They stayed real good. And, and Kyle, I give credit to Kyle Shanahan for – keeping that offense with the backup quarterback in that situation to, hey, let's go down and get a field goal, and we'll go down and get another field goal to win the game. And that defense played lights out. Um, tip my hat off to Robert Sala, who most likely will be a head coach um, next year. And the 49ers will receive two third-round picks. They'll receive one in the next year's draft as a comp, and then one in the following draft as another comp pick. So uh, um, Robert Sala has earned this from a linebacker's coach all the way up to a defensive coordinator future head coach of getting, just like you said, getting all the guys back that the 49ers missed. They missed the two running backs. They missed Jeff Wilson Jr. Raheem Mostert. They got their third running back, which is a receiver, Debo Samuel, and they got Richard Sherman back. I mean, this is a perfect time to to get away, go stay in Arizona for a little while, and everything's about business now and getting into the dance. Before we get into our 
positional grades. Watching the game yesterday and how the players played with so much effort on both sides of the ball, with so much pride, with so much passion, it really gave me a 2019 type feel to it. Just seeing how the players were going about their business. Jimmy Ward playing with Swagger. We'll talk plenty more about Jimmy Ward later on. But the whole defense was playing with so much swag, so much confidence, some serious moxie, and the offense held their own. Let's start off giving out our grades, and we'll alternate here. You can go first. I'll go next, and we'll we'll alternate kind of like a snake round in a fantasy draft. What grade do you give Captain Nick Mullins, captain of the uh, offense? I give Nick Mullins a C. A C. The reason why I give him a C is I could have gave him a lower grade because he's had – he had an interception. He had two other interceptional balls that should have been picked off. Um, but the reason why I give him the C is he made enough plays for the 49ers to win. And I did say last week, is he going to make them pay when they sent an all-out blitz? He made them pay on the uh, Kyle Juszczyk, uh pass. It wasn't an all-out blitz, but he still made them pay for the the route concept that Kyle Shanahan dialed up. Beautiful route concept. They faked the, faked the bubble screen, and then Kyle Juszczyk leaked out. Um, so – Mullins could have been could have shit the bed in the fourth quarter, but he stepped up after having three terrible quarters and did enough to win the game. So he gets a C. A C. I'm gonna tilt the scales a little bit in favor of Nick Mullins because he is a backup. I'm gonna give him a B plus. So I have his whole breakdown here as far as where his passes went from. Passes at or behind the line of scrimmage, 10 for 10, 56 yards. This is very Jimmy Garoppolo-like here. Passes from 0 to 10 yards downfield, 9 of 14, 91 yards. Passes 10 to 20 yards downfield, 4 of 8 for 76 yards, and then 20 yards or more downfield. He was 1 of 2 for 29 yards. He was not very good on third down. He made a handful of very, very bad decisions and had a couple bad throws. The third and seven at Jordan Reed where he was wide open. He sailed the ball, comes to mind. There was a play along the left sideline where he threw a deep ball to nobody, really, and it was almost picked off by the Rams. Yes, he had some crucial bad throws. The interception was not necessarily his fault. It was tough to gauge if that th throw would have been completed or not. But the bottom line is he was getting shelled. He was getting absolutely drilled because the offensive line could not block Aaron Donald, and he showed serious toughness all game long. He showed toughness in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, he went 11 of 14 for 117 yards and had a passer rating of 101.5. When so, the game mattered, when the game mattered, Nick Mullins came through. He won on the road as a backup quarterback without a full complement of weapons, he gets a B-plus for beating a division rival from me. So from, from, from next-gen stats, um, everyone kept talking about how he had so much pressure. He was under pressure all game, and he was not. Um, there was a lot of times where he had a lot of pressure. He had a clean pocket, and he double-clutched, held onto the ball way too long. Um, next-gen stat has this uh, average separation from quarterback from D-lineman. The closest guy was uh, Sam Ikuban. Iku, Ibukam? Ibakam. Sam, Ibakam. Sam, Ibakam, yep. So he was 4.13 yards from Nick Mullins every time he threw the ball. Everyone else was 4.3 yards or, or farther from him. So he he wasn't pressured. There's this idea in, in a lot of the fan base's heads that he was under pressure all game long. 
Um, but he wasn't. Um, the so first sack. The first sack. Let me. Sack that he, right. let, let me let, but with the next gen stats, those are also taking into consideration those little jet sweeps to Debo Samuel. So it's not a fair indication of whether or not he was under pressure because. But then we still give that, him the. We still give him the stat line. For example, Nick. So we give him like the 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 yards that he threw to Debo Samuel when those really aren't yards. Those are extended runs. Mm-hmm. So we, we if we get if we're gonna give a quarterback those stats because he's incapable of throwing the pushing the ball downfield, then we also have to um, include those because, for example, Nick Mullins. Everyone kept saying Nick Mullins was under pressure all game. He wasn't. He held onto the ball way too long. Whether that's receivers getting open or not, that's on Nick Mullins. The first sack came due to Nick Mullins holding onto the ball, triple clutching the ball. That's that's inexcusable for a quarterback. You've played in the NFL after. How many starts does he have now? More than 15 about? Roughly. Roughly. You should, know, you should know after a season in the NFL that you cannot double-clutch the ball. And he did so multiple times. Nick Mullins got the 49ers a win. Let's celebrate no, he, Nick he, Mullins. No, no, he got them the win. He got them the win. But it, it, well, what upsets me is from, from Nick Mullins' standpoint is the fact that he made the O-line look a lot worse than they actually were. Mm, I got to disagree with you. I got to disagree with you because the stat you're throwing out, the next-gen stats, like I he touched even, on, all those balls that get out of his hands quickly, all those balls that get out of his hands quickly are factored in there. On his dropbacks, he was getting hit time and time again. I have the pressures. We're not – I'll save my pressure stats, actually, for the – we're talking about it now. What the hell? I'll throw them out there. Mike McGlinchey gave up four pressures. Colton McKivitz gave up four pressures. Dan Brunskill gave up two pressures. Trent Williams – Gave up two pressures. That's 12 pressures right there. Nick Mullins was hit seven times and sacked twice. He was on the floor way more than he should have been. The offensive line was not as bad as advertised, but they certainly were not as good as I feel like you're saying they were. No, they, they're not. They were. I'm not saying they were. They were elite at any by any means. But I'm also saying that they weren't as terrible as the fan base made them seem yesterday during the game and after the game. They they were. Top 10, they weren't bottom 10. They were in the middle of the pack, a good enough offensive line. If they had Jimmy Garoppolo, and it sounds kind of weird because I'm not that big of a Jimmy Garoppolo fan right now, he would have been much better because he's going to actually see look for his check downs, and that's what Nick Mullins didn't want to do, didn't want to check the ball down, and that's what hurts you as, a, as an offensive line. You can't hold on to the ball too long as a quarterback, and that's why I, I had to give him a C. All right, moving on. Moving on, I'll give Nick Mullins the he got the road win. He deserves a B. He's giving he's getting a B plus from me. B plus for me for multiple reasons. He could have been a lot better on third down. That was his biggest struggle for me was moving the chains on third down. But the bottom line, your backup quarterback BDN, he got the win. He finished with a stat line of twenty four of thirty five for two hundred and fifty two yards. And again, that interception was not completely on him. Running backs, Raheem Mostert's back. Jeff Wilson Jr. is back. Kyle Juszczyk was involved. Jarek McKinnon was involved. What grade do you give the stable of running backs, including Kyle Juszczyk? You can go ahead and go on this one, Nick. You go first. I'll go. Oh, that's right, because we said we're going to alternate. Thank you for um, remembering that. I'm going to give them a B minus. A B minus largely because they struggle to hold on to the football. Jeff Wilson. Fumbled the ball. Raheem Mostert fumbled the ball. 
which resulted in a fumble recovery for a touchdown. The two of them combined for three yards per carry. 28 attempts for 86 yards. It was nice having their presence back. Don't get me wrong. They were a huge reason why the 49ers were so successful on offense this game. But Raheem Mostert had a very poor yards per carry average, 2.7. I would actually give them more of a C for their performance if it were not for Kyle Juszczyk. Kyle Juszczyk was clutch in this game, had a pair of receptions. One of them was 20 yards downfield, picked up a critical fourth and one on a aggressive play call from Kyle Shanahan that I absolutely loved a play that would later set up Robbie Gold's game-winning field goal. The main issue for me with the running backs was the inability to take care of the football. But it's certainly great to have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. back. See, um, for me, I give them a C, C straight up, because mm -hmm. I can't have you get uh, coughing up the ball two times in a game from two different guys. Um, inexcusable. Hold on to the damn ball. That's how you lose games. Um, they could have taken advantage of the game and – Ended up coughing up the ball two times. Um, so that's why I have to give them a C. They weren't running as hard as I thought they were going to be in the first half. And then they started picking it up, running a little bit harder, um, probably because they didn't have a, a lot of game reps prior to today or yesterday. Um, but besides that, the reason why I gave them a C and not a C plus, I, I actually have Kyle's juice chick as along my tight ends um, for that receiving catch because he's, he's one of those guys where you could put him with a running back room the tight end room. You could mm -hmm. even throw him in the receiver room if you wanted to. So I actually put him in my tight end room. Um, but if I was to put him in, in the running back room, it would give him a C plus because of that fourth and one and that the um, clutch catch that he had. Wide receivers. What grade do you give the wide receiving core for their performance yesterday? The wide receivers get an A, Nick. Um, the reason why is he, Nick, Bo uh, not Nick Bosa, Debo Samuel. Debo, I miss Nick. That's how much I miss Nick Bosa. I'm saying his name with <laughs> the receivers. Yep. So Debo Samuel had an amazing game. Um, he's electric. He's what makes this offense go. Um, I can't not praise Debo Samuel enough, but I have to give credit also to Kendrick Bourne. Richie James had a nice catch. Mm, yep. um, the thing is with, with this offense, I would like to see Debo Samuel utilized in a more receiver way. I don't like this this stretch the field because it, it makes him look like he's only a gadget receiver. But Debo Samuel last year showed that he could run routes at, at, a, at an elite level. He breaks his hips down, sinks his hips. He can break real quick. Um, so I would like to see the 49ers start to use him as a more of a receiver than just a bubble screen and a end around type of guy. Um, so, But they still get an A from me today. Kyle Shanahan is utilizing Debo. Samuel's skill set wonderfully, in my opinion. 11 catches, career high, 133 yards, 136 yards after the catch, and 83 of those yards came after contact. Debo Samuel is built. He is absolutely built to get the ball and go. He is such a pleasure to watch playing football, just how he initiates contact Countless times he was breaking tackles, making things happen. I'm all for the way that Debo Samuel's being used. Of course, he has it in him to run more traditional routes. But how can you argue the product we're seeing on the field by Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo? And remember, Kyle Shanahan's calling these plays to his quarterback strength. 
get the ball out of their hands quickly, let your receivers go to work. I love that philosophy, and it's why the 49ers have beaten the Rams twice this year. Debo Samuel, lights out yesterday. I'm 100% on board with you. A, for the receiving group. Kendrick Bourne had two first downs, had a very nice first down catch on a second and seven on a pass that I thought was pretty good from Nick mm -hmm. Mullins. Richie James had a 20-yarder downfield. Those are the only three receivers that got involved, but Debo Samuel single-handedly gives this group an A. No disagreement there whatsoever. We'll the, jump the into – The crazy side about Debo Samuel is um, he had negative four air yards. Negative four air yards. So for me, I, I understand that receivers, they just want the ball in their hands. They're, they're, they just give me the ball, I'll go to work. But at some point, Debo's going to start getting frustrated by not being allowed to run routes. He went no. all, yes, Nick, he went all offseason, all offseason, running routes, getting getting his routes to that level to take the next step. So now, look, look for, his, for him, we're, we're talking about DK Metcalf. We're talking about AJ Brown, Terry McLaurin. They're out there doing this, doing their thing. They're out there running routes. They're routing so people he up. He's not running routes, Nick. Okay. Like for, at, at some point, at some I'm like at some point, he's gonna start getting not frustrated because he's getting the ball, but it's gonna get to him where like, bro, I, I'm a receiver. I'm not a running back. Like for he's example, a, he's a playmaker. He just wants the ball in his hands. I just wrote about this today. As Debo Samuel gets more playing time, as we see Terry, um, Scary Terry on the Washington football team, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, as we see their careers develop as they're going into year two, A.J. Brown add him to that list, Debo Samuel's one of a kind. He is not a traditional receiver like those other ones are. Some are better than others. Debo Samuel is a gadget player and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing more, wrong with he's that he's more than a he's more than a gadget you, player Nick. you you can you can be a gadget player and have more to your game that's not a knock on debo samuel everybody knows he's a wide receiver everybody knows that and being able to catch the ball at the line of scrimmage and go that's i don't see how debo but samuel can forwards. ever get Debo, you're, you're trying to say debo samuel's going to get frustrated by getting the ball 11 times on 13 targets because he's catching the ball a yard behind the line of scrimmage. That's nonsense. With, I'm not going to – okay, more, more frustrated at the fact that he's not allowed to make plays down the field because those are the big plays that that, that make you the receiver that DK Metcalf is right now. Those receivers are being talked about as the top 10 receivers in the league right now, top 15 receivers in the league because mm -hmm. they're able to go down the field and they're able to, to get that. Yeah, and they have a quarterback. They have a quarterback that can get them the ball downfield. And, and that's that's what I mean. It's not it's not Debo's fault how he's being used. It's the quarterback. Um, but for Debo, he's being used. For example, uh, I was talking to Jason Aponte, who we had on this podcast before. I was talking to him, DJ Moore. He's a gadget receiver, being allowed to run routes like he should be, and he's one of the one of the top receivers who's underrated. And he's a thousand yard receiver last year. And he'll be a thousand yard receiver this year. And I think Debo could do that. All the gadget stuff he does, as well as actually run routes. Mm -hmm. All right. We'll agree to disagree on the usage of Debo Samuel, but we will agree on the fact that the receiving core deserves an A for their performance against the Rams. Let's move on to tight ends. I'm up first. I gave them a B. They didn't do anything super bad they didn't do anything super good it was a very neutral performance from jordan reed 
and Ross Dwelly. Jordan Reed found a way to get open. Nick Mullins missed him a few times. He finished with two catches for 18 yards, moved the chains. Ross Dwelly had a couple of really impressive blocks, did have a holding penalty, which cost the 49ers 10 yards, which is a reason why I didn't give them anything slightly above a B. But for the most part, I thought Jordan Reed and Ross Dwelly held their own. They weren't turned to a whole lot, but they had a few key blocks in the ground game. And I'll I'll give them a solid B. Yeah, I give them a B as well. I mean, when you don't really do much in the in the passing game, I mean, despite if Jordan Reed gets that ball, that's a big game. He he had he had a lot of he had a lot of grass to run. Um so they get a B for me. You can't really do much in the blocking game. That's not Ross Duoli's cup of tea. Um, I don't really, and he's just a big receiver who's slow. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to evaluate that when he's just a technically a blocker at this point right now. Um, but I would like to see them get Jordan Reed involved in the offense a little bit more or figure out how to get him involved the way George Kittle is. Because when he has the ball in his hands, he's, he's electric. The only thing is I think Kyle's taking care of him. Um, because of his health. So, all right, B is across the board. So it's back to back agreements. So to recap, I gave Nick Mullins a B plus. You gave Nick Mullins a C, C, a C salt, straight C. C. Running backs get a C from you. Yes. B B minus from me. Wide receivers, A. Tight ends, B. Offensive line, offensive line. You go first because I'm fired offensive, up for this one. And offensive I'm, line, I'm, I'm gonna give them a C. So a season average grade, um, they weren't terrible. They weren't great. Um, they gave Nick Mullins a, a, enough time to do what he needed. Um, that everyone going to come at, well, Mike McGlinchey's terrible. Mike McGlinchey's terrible. Yes, he had he had bad reps. He had the first one, um, like the fumble on Raheem Mostert, where Aaron Donald goes in. That is a tough um, ask for any offensive lineman to do, to reach block of the best defensive tackle in the NFL, best defensive lineman in the NFL. And I think right away, um, first thing I noticed was Michael Glinsky looked at McKivitz and, and mm-hmm. told him what the hell's going on. So I for saw me, the same thing. For me, that's that's a miscommunication on McKivitz's part, um, his first um start at right guard. Um, but besides that, like like I said, there was a lot in the whole first half, the the defensive line of the the Los Angeles Rams really didn't get much pressure on Nick Mullins. So mm-hmm. for me, and he was still missing wide open guys, missing wide open throws. So when you have enough time to do that and you have open guys, that's why I gave Nick Mullins the C, and that's why I give the offensive line a C. First half, they did their thing. Second half, there were some shakeups, and the 49ers offensive line looked pretty bad at times, but they weren't as bad as, as everyone made them seem. We have a very similar stance where the offensive line looked pretty good in the first half. So what I noticed is, and this is going back to how great it is to have Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson back because they were not getting touched behind the line of scrimmage. The running backs weren't in the first half. They were able just to hit the holes and go. The offensive line did nothing glaring in the first half. Then I, let me retract that for the majority of the first half on the final Mm -hmm. drive, on the final drive, Aaron Donald split a double team between Dan Brunskill and Colton McKivitz. And from that point forward, from the final minute or so in the first half for the remainder of the game, the offensive line crumbled a little bit. And again, I'll read the pressure stats. Mike McGlinchey gave up four pressures, McKivitz four pressures, Brunskill and Trent Williams two pressures each. 
The offensive line gets a C minus from me. They had a solid showing in the first quarter, first half, excuse me, but you have to do it for a full four quarters of football. Right now, they are the worst unit on the football team and have the most improving to do as they gear up for a playoff push. Now, Nick, a cool question. Um, these these uh, pressure rate, are they from PFF or? These ones are PFF, and I also went back already and went over all the quarterback hits that were allowed. So the quarterback hits were my own counts um, and sacks. Gotcha. So for, for, for that right side of the offensive line, on the hits, can you go ahead and repeat those hits for for the right side of the offensive line? So like runs, uh, Rikivitin. I don't. I, I only have the oh, pressure. You, I don't. I don't have the hits individually broken down. Gotcha. So for for the pressure rate, when when I went to go watch back the game, um, what I see is you can never block Aaron on a one on one. I don't know why teams try to do it, even with an offensive tackle, the, the best offensive tackle in the NFL. You cannot do it. So it's a hard task. Um, but for me. What stood out to me was the fact when Nick Mullins the the two sacks that Nick they gave up was were Nick Mullins' fault. I went back to watch them. The first one he double clutched, and the second one he had three seconds to throw the ball. If you have three seconds to throw the ball, you should have that clock in your head that says get rid of it, check it down, or throw it away. And you cannot if or move move. You cannot stay like a statue, and that's the problem with with Nick Mullins and. For me, I would like to see him be able to throw, push the ball downfield because what that defense did is we weren't pushing the ball downfield. Everything was sideways. So what that whole secondary did was I'm going to creep up and instead of playing eight to nine yards off the ball, I'm going to play about five to seven. So now the run game is going to be taken away, and now everything else is going to get harder for this offensive line to block. And then to pass pro, I'm just going to send someone every time. So it was one of those things where having an incompetent quarterback hurts a lot for the offensive line Ooh. as well as Kyle Shanahan. Harsh words. Harsh words for Nick, the incompetent quarterback who just won a game on the road against the Rams. He did That's- what he had to do to win. But he, I, I gave him a fair grade. I gave him a C. I didn't give him, I could have gave him a D plus, but I gave him a C. Should have gave him an INC for incompetent. But he did make one play outside of the pocket which I was very impressed by. And it was following up the initial hit from Aaron Donald towards the end of the first half when he completed a pass on third down to Kendrick Bourne, which eventually set up Robbie Gold's field goal that he missed before the first half. But it was a nice play outside the pocket from Nick Mullins. Yeah, Let's get into – yeah, he, got, he made a nice play and moved outside the pocket. Let's go to the good stuff, the defensive line. I know that defensive line, uh, an A-plus. That defense line was phenomenal from the first snap of the game. Um, tip my cap off to Kevin Givens, who had a phenomenal game. Probably the best game I've seen Kevin Givens ever play. Absolutely. Um, Javon Kimlaw with a pick six. Hell of a game from him as well. Um, the guy that actually stood out to me was Arik Armstead, who in the run game was doing phenomenal. He was making plays, and I was like, that's the Arik Armstead that the 49ers need to have week in, week out in order for them to – make the playoffs going forward. But the the name that everyone loves, he's probably one of the, the favorite 49ers on the roster right now is Kerry Hyder. Two sacks without him, the 49ers would have struggled to get more pressure on him. But that defense line was solid, 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 solid. I give them an A. I can easily give them an A plus as well. Kerry Hyder, I'm going to start calling him. He has a new nickname from me in my book. 
It's Kerry the Drive Killer Haida. That's what he is. He kills drives. He absolutely kills drives. If you go back and look what he did against the Rams, he was causing the most disruption on third down, specifically third down. In the first half, he forced an incomplete pass or by hitting Jared Goff on third down later on in the first half. Gets a sack. It was second and 10 at the time. That second and 10, or was it a, six, a second and 11? Nine-yard loss on that sack. So now it's third and 20. He finds a way to kill drives. Then in the second half, the same exact pattern occurred. He hit Jared Goff on a third down, mm -hmm. forced an incomplete pass, and then got a sack on third down. Kerry Hyder had four quarterback hits. He has seven and a half sacks on the year now. Leads the 49ers. Is ninth, tied for ninth in the NFL for the most sacks in the league. He is playing so great. He has the best motor on defense, and he finds a way to take that motor to the next level on third downs. I have the utmost respect for the playing style of Kerry Hyder. You nailed Kevin Gibbons. On the first drive of the game, the very first Rams play, he was in the backfield. Daryl Henderson, I believe, was the running back. He still picked yep. up two yards, but he made his presence felt from the jump in this game. Couple plays later, him and Eric Armstead combined for a tackle for a loss. This is all on the first drive. And then he recovers a fumble that Jimmy Ward forced. More on Jimmy Ward later. Kevin Gibbons gave you three plays worth mentioning on the first drive alone. He hit Jared Goff on the play that resulted in Javon Kinlaw's first career interception, first career touchdown. And by the way, Kinlaw has this knack for when he doesn't get home on a pressure, he recognizes it, drops back. We saw it against Alvin Kamara last week where he batted that play down that looked like it was going to be a swing pass, screenplay. And then this time around, he picks off Goff. I am very high on Javon Kinlaw, much more high than I was two, three weeks ago. He is stringing together very solid performances. Eric Armstead had a very good game against the run. I thought he was actually better against the Eagles, but this was one of his better performances on the year. Without a doubt, the defensive line led by Kerry Hyder Jr., who I am hoping is not pricing himself out of the team's budget. That's how good he's playing. He would be a phenomenal piece to hold on to for 2021 and beyond. But without a doubt, defensive line gets an A. See, I, I don't think Kerry Hyder has priced himself out of the, the 49ers ring. The reason why um, you, you mentioned his his motor. Um, for me, his Kerry Hyder's sacks don't come quick like the the expensive defensive linemen come. His sacks come with three seconds into the play, four seconds into the play, because his his motor doesn't stop. I mean that's that's all his hard work. Um so I don't think he'll price his rate his um price himself out of the 49ers price range at all. Let's give Jay Schultz 19 a shout out here. One of our listeners on Twitter on Periscope. He was on an 840. We're about 30 minutes into our live stream. Kerry Hyder right off the bat. He has another Kerry Hyder comment here. Kerry Hyder 2021. The 49ers need to find a way to bring him back. He is really, really, really like Jordan Reed. I said this about Jordan Reed last week. He is really climbing up the priority list as far as who to resign next offseason. You figure you're going to lose the contracts of D Ford one way or another. So Kerry Hyder. Seven and a half sacks, seven and a half sacks, tied for ninth in the NFL. Balling out of control. The new nickname, Carry the Drive Killer Haida. You heard it here first. Haider gets the bag, says a good friend of the show. 
A good friend of Marco and I, Jason Aponte, you're 100% correct. Finishes with 10 at least. Hard to argue. Linebackers. Let's get into the linebackers. I'll start off here. I'm giving Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner and the newly new addition, the Rover linebacker, Marcel Harris. The three of them deserve an A. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw. I was extremely impressed by Dre Greenlaw yesterday. At times, he looked like he was the best linebacker on the field at times. No disrespect to Fred Warner, but it looks like Warner and Greenlaw have the potential to be 1A and 1B as far as the linebacking cores go. I was so impressed. Greenlaw making tackles on special teams, had a tackle for a loss. Fred Warner in coverage, Dre Greenlaw in coverage. The two of them are going to be centerpieces for this 49ers defense for years to come. Yeah, hey, I get give them an A as well. Um, Greenlaw finally he's starting to finally shoot gaps, starting to finally do what is what he's reading. He's reacting as fast as he can now. It's coming smooth now. That's what happens when you, you finally get the reps inside where you're supposed to be. Having Marcel Harris brings another element to this defense, speed at that linebacker position. So for me, it's it's a wonderful um, switch up from Robert Sala. And Fred Warner, the best linebacker in the NFL. So they didn't do anything wrong, but they also made a lot of plays in the run game. I give them an A for, for being the best linebacker in core in the NFL. So to recap our defensive grades, we got through two units so far. Defensive line gets an easy A, as easy as an A as you'll ever get. Marco gave him A+. Plus. I could very easily give him A+, plus as well. And linebackers both get an A from us as well. I combined the cornerbacks and safeties into one little defensive back category. Did you do the same? Uh, for who was that? For uh, I combined the cornerbacks and safeties to just defensive backs. So I don't yes. have separate categories. You did the same I thing? Did the same. All right, you go ahead. So for the DBs, I give them an A. Um, so the DBs forced three, three turnovers. We had Richard Sherman. Um, who I have to publicly apologize because I came on <laughs> I last. I, I came I on and I said that um, this defense is going to be much different because they're going to have to run that zone scheme and they're going to have to do different stuff. But shout out to Richard Sherman because he came out and his that knowledge he has in that head. My favorite play of the game. Um, and it's funny because it's not even like an impact play where he made a super super play. So he's lined up with the receiver on his side. His receiver goes into motion. Right away, he knows I have no responsibility on my side. I'm going. Goes and makes a tackle for a loss in the backfield. So things like that are why Richard Sherman is so important to the team. And then Jimmy Ward, phenomenal. Two, two forced turnovers. Jimmy Ward is coming into his own. He's finally playing. I like where Robert Hall is playing him. He's not playing him at that free safety position. He's playing him at the star mm. position, allowing him to go wherever. Do your thing. Allowing him to just react to everything. I kind of like it a lot better than – I like the safety tandem that the Port Niners have going over – uh, the Tart and Ward. Tart is a free agent at the end of the year, and I think we're seeing a glimpse into the 49ers' future defensively. Tarvarius Moore playing the single high safety spot, Jimmy Ward playing in the box, Marcel Harris playing this hybrid safety linebacker role. That is what makes this secondary so fascinating is how much and when you take into consideration the linebackers that are already so excellent in coverage what's happening in the secondary i'm very excited to follow along to moving forward tarverius moore playing deep 
He didn't take the best angle on that long Cam Akers run, but he made a few nice plays in the box and downfield. Jimmy Ward. I've been so hard on Jimmy Ward this year. I've been so hard on Jimmy Ward. For the first four or five years of his career, he was largely considered another first-round bust from Trent Baalke, drafted by Trent Baalke, has the huge 2019 season. Inks that three-year, $28.5 million contract. Up until this game, he was not playing to what you would expect from a contract of that amount. He was an impact player in this game, forced two fumbles, was making game-changing plays. Before this game, Marco, Jimmy Ward had 73 games played in. He played in 73 career games and only forced two fumbles. He doubled his total in this game alone. He was very active as a in coverage. He gave up three receptions on eight targets for 16 yards. Was phenomenal in coverage. Was making plays and run support. Emmanuel Mosley had a great game. Jason Verrett had a great game. The secondary for me also gets an A. And to your point, Richard Sherman, the Faithful Fanatic podcast apologizes because we were not stoked that you were going to be on the field in this game. Because to an extent, Robert Sala has to accommodate for your lack of speed. And he did a great job playing zone on one side of the field at times and man on the other. And it was great to see. But your wits, your leadership, those are two things that this team desperately needs. Because Fred Warner is the one true leader. And now Richard Sherman's back. You have two, two true leaders that are completely invested in this football team. We have a question from Jay Schultz 19. Again, we appreciate you listening to the pod. Do you guys feel we should leave E-Man at nickel until K-1 is healthy? I'm for it. Key word there until. Absolutely. You get your three best defensive backs on the field. I'm looking forward to, and it's very unfortunate what happened to Jamar Taylor. Jamar Taylor was really balling out this season and was really making his presence felt. Had that great game against the Patriots where he had two interceptions. Seeing him getting carted off the field yesterday was devastating. But a silver lining with that injury is the 49ers have an opportunity to play their three best defensive backs until K1 Williams gets back. So you have Mosley in the slot with Brett and Sherman outside. And then we'll see what happens when K1 Williams is back. But this is a good problem for the 49ers to have as they get ready to make a playoff push. But to summarize, and Mark, I'll let you answer that question as well from Jay Schultz 19. But I give the defensive backs an A. I'm right there with you. Yeah, I, of course. Um, I thought E-Man should have been starting um, only because <laughs> – I did he too. Been, he should have been starting at the nickel position. I do. I like Jamar Taylor. Nothing. Nothing against him. He's been balling out. Um, but you put your know, five best defensive backs on the field, and I said five because now you have uh, more. Tardarius more at safety with Ward, so that's your better tandem. Then you have all three best of your your corners on the field. So he should be starting until uh, K Wan's healthy. But I think that we're possibly seeing the future 49ers nickel cornerback. I don't think uh, K1 William, he's going to be expensive, even with the the fake or the rescinded uh, suspension from him. He's going to cost a lot. He's the best nickel corner in the NFL, and there will be a team that pays him more than the 49ers could afford. It'll be interesting to also follow along to how Richard Sherman closes out this season to see maybe he's a guy you offer another one-year incentive-based contract to. We'll see. I'm very interested to see how Sherman's season unfolds. Let's jump in 
to special teams. What grade, or I guess it's my turn. What grade do I give the special teams unit? I'm going to give them an A minus. Two weeks ago against the Saints, the special teams unit murdered the 49ers, killed them. They were giving up long kick returns. They were muffing punts. Anything you could think of that can go wrong with a special teams unit, the 49ers were pretty much guilty of against the Saints. So what do they do against the Rams? They play one of their best special teams performances of the year. And I give them an A- minus because the one blemish is Robbie Gold's missed field goal at the end of the first half. But outside of that, he was nails. Three for three in the second quarter. He nailed the game-winning kick. Can't get any more clutch than that. Mitch Wisnowski punted a career high seven times, pinned the Rams deep inside their own 15-yard line on multiple occasions. Great day for Wisnowski punting. And I want to give a shout-out to Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor I get on quite frequently. He is not an explosive punt returner, but he was a very smart punt returner against the Rams. And he had that critical muff or that mishap blunder, whatever you want to call it, against the Saints, and he really, really redeemed himself. His decision-making in this game was extremely good. Decision-making in terms of, am I going to feel this punt, call the fair catch, shy, let it go over my head in hopes for it being a touchback? He was flawless in his decision-making. And the one play that's going to go extremely unnoticed from this game, not by me, of course, because I'm talking about it right now, but from a lot of people that played attention to the game, is on the Rams' final punt. The deke Trent Taylor had on the Rams' gunners he signaled for a fair catch, or I don't think he actually signaled for a fair catch, but he was pretending like he was going to catch the ball, and the ball goes into the end zone for a touchback. The 49ers get the ball at their own 25-yard line, opposed to getting pinned inside the 10. Something super minor like that, but if the 49ers are pinned inside their own 10-yard line, the play calling is likely completely different, and whatever happens from there, who knows? But Trent Daler did an excellent job. And when he did field punts, he he picked up 10, 15 yards on two different occasions. So good for Trent Taylor. And hopefully he can play with that kind of confidence at the punt returning spot for the remainder of the year. So I actually give our special teams a B. The reason is, is, is you have to be able to get capitalize on points going into half. So the 49ers could have went into the half um, with the lead 10 to, 10 to 3. Um, and that would have completely changed the game. Reason is, is right away we come out into the second half and we get seven points from the defense. So now it's a 17 to three game versus a 14 to three game. So that that needs to be capitalized on. Um, he ended up kicking a game winning field goal, so that's why he gets a B. Um, Wisnowski, he, he did have a couple punts that landed in the in, in, within the 20, but he's just for me, Wisnowski just has too many punts that go into the end zone. He doesn't have that soft bounce. It just goes into the end zone a lot. Um, I do like what Trent Willie, uh, Trent Taylor did um, a few times where he does pick up a couple more yards, but it looks like he's trying to find a, a roster spot for next year. He doesn't have a roster spot next year. He really doesn't. What does he bring to the team that should keep him a roster spot? Yeah, because but if you look at – But we're talking about him as a punt returner. We're not evaluating Trent Taylor, the wide receiver right no, now. No, we're just giving – no, but I'm talking about is is for for Trent Taylor, the fight he had on Sunday on those returns. He normally doesn't try to get shifty and put his head in there and gain extra yard. The reason he was doing that is because he realizes his NFL career could be over. It really could. Um, he's not he's not a good receiver anymore. His back all that. So that's where he's trying to get his little 15-yard returns and stuff, and that could keep him in the NFL for a longer time. 
And like Jason said, a fourth rounder. He was a fourth round, fourth round pick for the 49ers, but he could tackle. And a lot of people like to make fun of Wisnowski that, but I think he'll he'll come into his own. He's been punting the ball a lot better. I don't have the exact puncher stats in front of me as far as how he's fared this season, keeping balls out of the end zone inside the 10, 20 yard line. I know there's actually a website that dedicates themselves to puncher stats, but I do know, I thought he was pretty good against the Rams. And there was also, he had a punt not too long ago that was down at the one yard line. So I'm not as big of a Wishnowski hater. If he was, what his knock is, is that he was a fourth round draft pick. So it's like the equivalent of Solomon Thomas coming into the league as the third overall pick. If you're a punter going in round four, you better be good as hell. And Wisnowski has not been that. So if you take away that draft label of being a fourth round pick, he's been a pretty solid punter. And as our boy Jason Aponte said, yes, he can hit, he can tackle, but I thought he punted well. And again, a career high seven punts. You're, that's never something to brag about, by the way, is how many times your puncher punts for over 350 yards and had multiple pins inside the 15-yard line. Let's get into the coaches. What grade do you give Kyle Shanahan? I gave Kyle Shanahan an A+. An A+. He, he came into the game plan knowing he was going to feed Debo Samuel, and he didn't stop feeding him until the game was over. So that was good to see. Um, Kyle Shanahan knew the limits of – Nick Mullins, and he gave him wide open throws. He dialed up some beautiful passes for him. The Kyle Juszczyk pass in the fourth quarter that kind of sold the game for the 49ers. Those are big plays that Kyle dialed up. Now, I'm pretty sure Kyle was super duper duper pissed about the two fumbles that his offense had, as well as the interception. The interception, I'm going to talk about that real quick. So, uh, McKivitz, he won the rep on Aaron Donald. But Aaron Donald wants to go loop back around. And McKivis needs to get him in his rib cage. So he mm -hmm. puts his arms down. So that's on either one. But Kyle Shanahan did a phenomenal job for having um a undrafted center, a rookie starting at right guard for the first time against Aaron Donald, and not having his number one um receiver, Brandon Ayuk. So I, I thought Kyle Shanahan had a great game plan the second time going into LA. Yeah, I thought Kyle Shanahan called a very good game. There was not much to hate on. And, you know, when the game's going on, I send out live tweets whenever I have an issue with something Shanahan may or may not have done. And the only thing, and this is nitpicking, it's a non-issue now. It's a non-issue. So it's almost not even worth bringing up. But there was that third and two where there was no timeout call between Nick Mullins and Kyle Shanahan, regardless of who's at fault. The team won the game. That's not something you turn to and say, Kyle Shanahan should have done this. You can live with it considering the fact the 49ers won the game. I'm giving Kyle Shanahan an A+. His body language, his upbeat attitude from start to finish in this game, it was very refreshing to see. And I touched on this in the beginning of the pod. This game had a very 2019 feel like to it where the emotions and the pride that was both played with and coached with was on full display. And it was really, really cool to see the 49ers rally around each other and walk away with the victory. Yeah, I would have liked to have been in the, in the locker room for Kyle's pregame speech because they already had known they weren't going to be able to play games back in, in Santa Clara. And they knew they weren't going to be practicing Santa Clara for the next five or six weeks. So I wonder if Kyle pretty much told them, hey, look, you guys already know uh, we're not going to be playing in, in, in Santa Clara or practicing there. 
We're not going to be around our family. Let's go make it all about business. Let's make the damn playoff so we have something our families are going to be excited about. I would mm-hmm. love to know if he told them that because that that's kind of how they played. And that's and that's why I have the biggest issue with people wanting to play for draft position. It drives me absolutely crazy when people tweet out that they're upset that the 49ers lost or they don't know how to feel about a win. Come on, these are professional athletes. These guys are leaving their families for the next three weeks at least. And I don't know. I almost feel like it's a it's a disrespectful take. It's disrespectful for me to see a team that you root for, that you're emotionally vested in, and not want to see the best possible outcome for them on the field because you're more into what they could become in the future with the draft pick. These guys are leaving their families. They're playing their asses off. They're, I don't know exactly how many miles Arizona is away from Santa Clara. It's probably at least 450, 500, 600 miles, if not more. I don't know. My my geographics aren't all that. But the bottom line is that these guys are going to be on the road and they're going to be fighting their asses off every single step of the way. And for someone to want to see them lose while they're away from their families that are supposedly 49er fans is just a huge slap in the face, in my opinion. So I am all on board for this team to A, try to get into the playoffs and B, Get healthy for the playoffs. We're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo could potentially come back. George Kittle could potentially come back. And I'm going to be throwing it in people's faces because I was tweeting out weeks ago that this has a legit shot of happening. And if they beat the Bills on Monday night and they're 6-6 six and six with the Washington football team and the Cowboys up next, look out for the San Francisco 49ers. See, for me, I, I like the idea of getting a quarterback. I, I loved it. Um, I don't want to lose. But at the same time, I understand that this 49ers team needs a quarterback. So for me, I've always been – it doesn't matter if we're we're picking 20th or if we're picking 15th. We're still going to have to trade a 10th. We're still going to have to trade up to get your guy. And if you really want your guy, you will trade up as much as you need to to get your damn guy. So either way, is if you make the playoffs and you want a guy, go get him. Go yep. get your guy. So for me, like I, I really like Trey Lance. Um, he could potentially fall to 15 um, due to not having a season – so the 49ers can still get a really good quarterback or to potentially Kyle Shanahan could fall in love with. So for me, it's always been about we must improve at the quarterback position, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo playing quarterback, we need to improve from him. Um, so we'll see what happens in the draft. But the 49ers do have a legit shot. Um, it could be even easier, especially if this Baltimore Ravens and Steelers game does get canceled. Because if they get canceled, teams. there's eight teams in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. I just got so fired up right there talking about the 49ers going on a potential playoff run. A circle back to Kyle Shanahan. Another reason why I'm giving him an A is because I loved not only his decision to go for it on fourth and one, which would have been a Robbie Gold 56-yard field goal to win the game. Because if you look at Robbie Gold, he missed a 50-yarder before halftime. He was 0 of 4 on 50-yarders last season. He hasn't hit a 56-yarder since like 2013. So I thought it was 100% the right call for Kyle Shanahan to go for it there on fourth and one. And to give it to Kyle Juszczyk, I loved it. It wasn't a Jarek McKinnon run gun. It wasn't anything like that. I loved the decision. So Kyle Shanahan gets an A-plus for me. I'll go first for Robert Sala, and you can close on that behalf because I know you 
have a nice nugget about what could potentially happen if Robert Sala gets a head coaching job somewhere else. Robert Sala gets an A from me. I was joking around on Twitter yesterday. I said, Sean McVay is Kyle Shanahan's little brother, but Robert Sala is Sean McVay's daddy. Like he owns Sean McVay to score one touchdown in three out of four games with that offense against Robert Sala. Robert Sala has been phenomenal all season long, making things happen despite not having Nick Bosa, despite not having D4. Sure, and those man. two guys are what transformed the 49ers defense last year. And here he is having his guys playing so extremely well. A plus from me for Robert Sala, and he should get a head coaching job next year. Marco, take it away. Robert Sala, I give him an A, a as well. Um, Robert Sala had his game plan. He he knows if – I said we have to shut down Cooper Cup or Robert Woods, one or the other. He shut down both of them. How do you do so? Cooper Cup is not fast. He plays out of the slot. Normally, people out of the slot get a free release, and it makes him that much better of a receiver because he free release in the slot. You have all, everything open. You have outside in. You got the over-the-top fade from the slot, and he puts someone in Cooper Cup's face at all times. With no free release, and he shut down that he that's how you shut down this offense. And Robert Sala, he's he's bound to be a head coach next year, whether that's for the Detroit Lions, Jacksonville Jaguars, the Atlanta Falcons, whichever team hires him will be smart to do so. And if they do so, the 49ers get back a third round pick next year as a comp pick and a third round and then the following draft. They get two third round comp picks. However, now if Robert Sala decides Martin Mayhew was his general manager. That's who he wants over Adam Peters or whatever. I don't know how they have their their relationships, but if he takes Martin Mayhew, the 49ers get three third-round draft comp picks for the next three years. Um, he's going to take a good offensive coordinator from Kyle Shanahan. Kyle knows that, but Kyle's not, he's the type of guy to already be grooming an offensive coordinator for Robert Sala. Um, it'll most likely be uh, Little LaFleur. He'll probably end up taking off. Who? LaFleur. Oh, Mike, Matt, Michael, oh Mike, Matt, Michael Matt, Fleur. Mike, Mike LaFleur. Mike, Mike, run game coordinator? I believe, uh, I believe he's the pass game coordinator. Yeah, I believe he's the pass game coordinator. Yeah, he's the passing game coordinator. Oh. So oh, it, it'll, it'll, it'll probably be those two going. Um, hopefully they don't take Adam Peters. Yeah. Well, good for Robert Sala. He certainly deserves it. He has done a tremendous job this season. Not enough praise can go his way. He has been that good. The 49ers are 5-6 and six now. With six games left to go, they have this upcoming Monday night football game, a home game in Arizona against the Buffalo Bills. We have the Washington football team, Dallas Cowboys, then back-to-back -back divisional games against the Arizona Cardinals and Seahawks. Crazier things have happened. The 49ers playoff hopes are alive. If you have questions before we wrap things up, let me answer them. Send them our way. We have another question from Jay Schultz19. Let me hear your thoughts on this. Creed Humphrey at center in round one. Kyle Trask at QB in round two. See, I, I really like uh, Creed Humphrey. Um, it'll be one of those picks where Kyle Shanahan could fall in love with them and take them. But there's a few uh, center prospects that I could, I believe we could find in round three. Um, Kyle Trask, I do not like him. Uh, I believe he's a Kirk Cousins 2.0. Uh, 
Um, so I kind of want to stay away from that. I'd rather go Mac Jones potentially over Kyle Trask in round two. So I, I will stay away from Kyle Trask, but I do love Creed Humphreys. Creed Humphrey, I'm unaware of at this point, to be completely transparent. Center in the first round, I'm always reluctant to pick up an interior offense alignment in the first round. I don't feel the values there with a center or a guard. And you take the Saints, for example, with Cesar Ruiz, and they've heavily invested in their offensive line in early rounds of the draft. They do have a very solid offensive line. But this team has been so successful with guys like Mike Person, who are not the best, but you can skate on by with them. If you want a dominant offensive line, then sure, go grab your center in round one. But this team did not have the best offensive line last year, and they made it to the Super Bowl. So I'm personally not a fan of interior offensive linemen in round one, unless you're getting a Quentin Nelson. But even then, I don't like drafting a Quentin Nelson top 10. Kyle Trask, my opinion on him. I don't like his lack of mobility. I think Marco had a fair comparison there with Kirk Cousins. If the 49ers make a quarterback change or if they draft a rookie, I want that rookie to bring something to the table that we have not seen before. And what that something is, is mobility. So I want to bring in a mobile quarterback, whether it's Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, whoever it is, that's the one attribute characteristic I want from a quarterback is that mobility. So Sala will have job options. Does he want Detroit, Jacksonville? Um, I'll go first. I think he wants Detroit. Um, he's from Michigan. He played at, uh, I believe, Central Michigan. He coached Michi at Michigan State and at Central Michigan. I think that's that's the job. If he gets interviewed, I think he'll be hired in, in Detroit. Yeah. There's a lot of ties for Robert Sala and the Lions. They have a quarterback in place. It'd be interesting to see what would happen with Matthew Stafford if he wants to continue to build the Lions around him. Jacksonville, they have a high draft pick. They probably have a lot of cap space. They signed Calius Campbell to that huge contract a couple years mm -hmm. back then traded him to the Ravens. So for the sake of financial flexibility and draft capital, Jacksonville would be an attractive destination, but I do think the ties to Detroit give an edge as far as Robert Sala's preferences. Jason Aponte, our main man, Jimmy Intarvarius in 2021, Sherman safety. I'm very interested to see how this year closes out for Richard Sherman, but I'm all on board. Jimmy Ward in the box and Tarvarius more deep. See, I, I love the safety tandem that we have rolling right now. Um, Sherm actually did play reps at safety. They did let him play safety a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see how Robert Sala starts to move Sherm into that safety role because you can play – you could play six defensive backs and have Sherm playing safety once Kaguan comes back and have Jimmy Ward in that star position still. So it'll be real interesting to see how that works out. Um, me personally, I think Sherm would be good at safety only because of how smart he is. Um, but he's too, too, of a long, too much of a long strider and doesn't have the speed to play free safety. So it would have to be strong safety. And can his body stay healthy enough to make those bigger hits? This is a question I really like. Jay Schultz, we appreciate your participation. We love answering these questions. Should Kyle get himself an offensive coordinator? There's a lot on Kyle Shanahan's plate. And I'm going to point to Sean McVay, who may not be the best example considering the 49ers just beat the Rams yesterday.
But McVay went his first three years in the league without an offensive coordinator. And this past offseason, they promoted, hired Kevin O'Connell to be the team's OC. It took some off of McVay's plate. What that something is, I'm not exactly sure because I believe he's still the one calling the plays. And if Kyle Shanahan were to bring in an offensive coordinator, I have a hard time imagining him passing on his play calling duties to somebody else or passing off, if you will. I would like someone to help alleviate some of the various things on Shanahan's plate, but I just don't see him giving up his play calling responsibility and whether or not an offensive coordinator would necessarily mean that I'm not quite sure, but I like the idea of it. See Kyle Shanahan technically has two offensive coordinators on his roster. He has a passing game coordinator and a run game coordinator, um, uh, Matt LaFleur and then McDaniels. So he has two offensive coordinators on his roster already. So for me, it's one of those things where I don't think he needs to hire an offensive coordinator, but I would like to see, the 49ers hire a better quarterback coach. I don't think Shane Day is the answer at quarterback coach. If we look at um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, and C.J. Beathard, since Shane Day has been hired, they have not gotten better. They've actually regressed since Rich Scangaro has left. So I would say uh, QB coach is more important for Kyle Shanahan right now than his offensive coordinators because he has those two guys. I like this one too. Jay Schultz, again, coming with those fire questions. Who replaces Salah? I got D'Amico Ryans. I like D'Amico Ryans. He's young. He's energetic. From a personality standpoint, I feel like he brings a lot of the same attributes as Robert Salah. Very similar style, upbeat, positive, It knows the game, was a great linebacker with the Texans. That is certainly a name to follow. Has been able to soak up some of Salah's game, if you will, over the course of the last couple years. D'Amico Ryans would be a very, very intriguing in-house hire for the defensive coordinator position if Robert Sala does indeed leave this offseason. So I, I think it's D'Amico's job, uh, Ryan's job um, when actually he actually played for Andy Reid. And Andy Reid, I believe Andy Reid has mentioned, and I'm almost 100% sure that's what he said, D'Amico Ryan will be a head coach in the NFL one day. And that's coming from Andy Reid. Um, I would like to see him run the defense of uh, guys. But again, if he leaves, that's a guy that Robert Sala might want to poach with him. He might want to, hey, instead of offensive coordinator from the Niners, he might say, no, D'Amico Ryan's the guy I want to run my defense. So it could be one of those ones where he moves from defensive coordinator or linebackers coach to defensive coordinator like Robert Sala, or he could become Robert Sala's defensive coordinator. I like it. I like the idea of D'Amico Ryan stepping up in the void to fill the void of Robert Sala. We got any more questions? If you guys have any more questions, feel free to send them. If not, we're getting ready to wrap things up. We're about an hour and three minutes, 63 minutes of nonstop 49er football talk. I'm not seeing any more questions coming in, but Jay Schultz, Jason Aponte, to all of our listeners who tune in regularly we appreciate you we hope you guys enjoyed the holiday and thank you for tuning in to the now 22nd episode of the faithful fanatic thanks for tuning in